when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome to this month's Donor Pick, thanks to our amazing Patreon subscribers. After a close ballot, the winning movie was the late Wes Craven's 90s horror film Scream. I'm Patch, and with me, hopefully without his ghost face tonight, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hey, buddy. Hello. No ghost face here. That's good. Makes me feel a little bit better. If you want to be a part of the voting each month or just be called an amazing Patreon subscriber, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash film. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the donor pick voting as well as some fun bonus content that we have there. We also have some other incentives for upper tier subscribers. So be sure to check those out while you're on that uh, website. That being said, let's talk scream. Okay. So like we always do, we are a show best listened to if you've seen the movie because we are completely filled with spoilers. And with a movie that came out in the 90s, we should expect that if you're listening to this right now, you've already seen it either a week ago, a day ago, or 25 years ago. And if you haven't seen the movie, you're just interested in hearing us talk, I guess. So that being said, um, I wanted to open this up by... First of all, thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for picking this one. I know this was in the running for one of our 90s movies back in the summer. It was. And, and it, it got beat out by the faculty. So to see it make another appearance, I think, is uh, it speaks volumes, not only of the fact that we wanted to see it because we actually picked the, the voting choices, but the fact that the people that are uh, part of our listener community and, uh, and Patreon subscribers wanted to to hear us talk about it too. So Aaron, what's your history with this movie? Well, I like everyone else in my teenage, you know, class has saw this movie when it first came out. Um, this was part of the nineties slasher revival as it was. And I remember loving this from the get go, not having, it was interesting because I didn't grow up on the eighties horror movies. Uh, I've been, Talking about that a lot on social media recently, actually, how I have the Friday the 13th series, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and the Halloween series. They're all blind spots for me. Uh, I watched Chucky, or wait, what is it? Child's Play, which yeah. my kids actually just watched last night, I found out. Um, I watched that one when I was a kid, and it terrified me. I was scared to death of that one, but I never got around to those other ones for some reason. Um, and so, you know... Scream was a bit of a, an odd thing for me. It was a horror movie that I really enjoyed because of its humor and meta-ness, even though I didn't have the experience that others might have had with the tropes at the time. And so, you know, when Cabin in the Woods comes around uh, a decade later, it does similar things. And at that point in my life, I actually understood the tropes more. I'll say that this time watching Scream, I think it might have been even more enjoyable than it ever has been to me because I got it better. I, I, I understood a lot of what was going on and I'd actually seen a Nightmare on Elm Street movie now because I, I watched, uh, one and three, uh, recently just in the last week or week and a half. And so I have some, some Wes Craven history now under my belt and I could use that 
to evaluate it. But this viewing a screen for me was really cool. Oh, also because it was late one night, I decided that I needed to go ahead and watch it. And my daughter said, oh, I want to stay up and watch that with you. And my son went to bed. He was tired. Uh, so it just was me and me and her, uh, me and my 14 year old. And so we, we watched this movie together late at night with the, the lights out. And I was cringing the whole way through because I had forgotten how gory it was. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was not very gory and I was wrong. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, <laughs> like, Ooh, she has, I didn't want her to see that necessarily, but she really enjoyed it to the point where I said, Hey, you know, do you care if I watch scream too? I want to go ahead and finish up the whole series, I think, and watch all of them now again. And she was like, no, wait for me. So that was a good thing and a cool experience for me. And I, I loved it this time around, man. I, I really, it is just, it is a special, unique horror film that there is nothing quite like. Yeah. Scream is a movie that is definitely a celebration of the, the horror that came before it. And I find it very interesting because you mentioned a nightmare on Elm street. And I want to talk about the late West Craven a little bit after I finished viewing it. I wanted to get a little bit of research about just his movie history. I mean, I didn't go into detail about his life or anything like that, but I, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I grew up watching the nightmare on Elm street movie specifically that like, that was the, if, if there was a horror genre or horror property that filled my life as a little kid, it was going to be the nightmare on Elm street movies Friday the 13th to a lesser extent nightmare felt more up to date because I know um, Friday the 13th really kind of existed earlier than that, earlier than the eighties, maybe the late seventies. It was when that property started. So uh, nightmare became the go-to uh, when, when I was really into, to watching horror. And so I, I'd seen every movie that, was part of that property uh, finishing off with Wes Craven's final installment, Wes Craven's new nightmare. And I watched that as a, I guess, I don't know when I watched it, maybe as an early teen. And I, I remember having feelings of, man, this is really interesting because this is very meta. Um, I'm, I've heard that about it. And it's, it's very much worth watching if, especially if you, if you go through the series uh, and one in three should give you enough, back history or backstory enough familiarity with the characters and with the, uh, with, uh, with Kruger and all that stuff that when you get to new, when you, if you watch new nightmare, it'll be very satisfying. Okay. In terms of story. And so I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now, the, the ability that Craven has to commentate on his own stuff. Okay. Uh, in terms of being very meta and and being very celebratory of the the tropes that that he took advantage of, I mean he's he's the he's the guy that brought us the last house on the left, the original, the hills have eyes, the original, and a nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Do you see where I'm going with this? There have actually been remakes <laughs> of all of these movies, which tell me personally that the guy is a great storyteller. He has great stories mm-hmm. that other people want to revisit or at least update or pay tribute to by remaking. And granted, I don't know how these films did as remakes. I know nightmare wasn't as well received as I think people would have liked, even though I think you you said last week on the show that you actually enjoyed it. I did. It was the first one of the series I'd ever seen. Right. But, um, but you were, and I liked it. 
but yeah. but you were given the recommendation to watch the original because it's it's very much a, a educational education yeah, for the, sure. The thing that I like about Nightmare that is really even able to affect me now, watching them for the first time, you know, thirty years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the stuff doesn't hold up. The dialogue, the the eightiesness of them, the effects in some of them are just, I mean, crazy. Mm-hmm. But what holds up is the story, like you're saying. Like the thing about Nightmare that appeals to me more than Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween, even, is this is not just a killer going after people for some sort. I mean, it, there's there's more to the reasons behind it, mm-hmm. and. And in Nightmare, it's this amazing concept of, you know, it's almost like science fiction. I feel like it's the precursor to Inception, honestly. Like this idea of going into your dreams and being able to have this experience and then it can affect you on the outside um, and even cause your death. Like that is a fascinating idea. And And it goes well beyond anything that the normal slasher flick could come up with. Right. So when you look at Craven as a writer-director in that regard, he has a lot of great ability to bring that to the screen. But what he's known for is gore and blood and slasher. And when the 90s revival happened, it was because of Scream. And who better to be at the helm than Wes Craven? What's also interesting about this was that Unlike Nightmare, he actually was involved in all four of the movies. I think he directed all four, didn't he? I believe that's did, – did he direct all four I of the I want to say – I don't think he did four. Okay. I feel like for some reason I don't think he directed four. Okay. But his involvement, his involvement with the franchise was a lot more hands-on than with the Nightmare movies because I was reading trivia about, the, about Elm Street and he didn't like where they were going with – the with the franchise i think he but he actually he actually wrote the screenplay for uh number three and so he had some involvement but when we look at something like scream because we're not here to talk about elm street we're talking about scream i think what he what what i see he did with the scream franchise and beginning with the first one was not only paying tribute to what he brought to the 80s but also bringing about a brand new appreciation for what slasher horror could be for a new audience. And when you said what you did about it was funny, I think that was what he was going for. He wasn't just making fun of the eighties and what an earlier decades of what slasher films brought, you know, excess blood and, and just over the top gore. I think what he was doing was saying, look, this is still relevant and entertain and, and still relevant entertainment. We just need to update it give people a fresh coat of paint in terms of story and characters, but I think it's still alive. And Scream, I think, became the prototype for those subsequent movies like The Faculty, like I Know What You Did Last Summer. And and we could see that because of Kevin Williamson, who went on to uh, have a lot of involvement with Scream. I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2 and 3. Um, and so we see people that are wanting were wanting to be involved in those types of films. And I think that's why we got a ton of them and a ton of successful ones at that, because I don't think any of those really were received poorly, but I think that they were uh, as, as films, I think they were, it was just part of like, yes, give us more, give us more. And we have Wes Craven to thank for that. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's funny you mentioned the whole nightmare and not directing the rest of them because there's a joke about that in Scream. Uh, it, the character specifically, I think it's, I think it's actually the, the, the beginning in Sydney's phone call. Uh, and he says, you know, yeah. do you like scary movies? And she says, yeah, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, but just the first one, the rest of them weren't any good. Yeah. It was, um, <laughs> it was Drew Barrymore's character when she gets killed off. Yeah. Yeah. She Drew Barrymore, not Sydney, but right. like, uh, Casey, but Casey, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, the rest of them sucks. And I just like, you know, you knew like right away, like, oh, we're getting, we're going to get meta right off the bat. Um, and so I, I think his ability to not take himself seriously allowed him to do this because if, if, if he couldn't poke fun at himself and his own content, then what are you going to make? It would not have been as good as he, if he was just parodying other people's work, if that makes right. sense. Right. Right. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a guy who knows intimately what makes that franchise enjoyable and so he has the ability to poke fun. It's almost like having a little brother, like nobody messes with my little brother, but me. And I think that if anybody else tried to put this thing together, he would either be a consultant or he'd be really frustrated if he wasn't a part of it, because that's his baby. I mean, he's the one that owned that in the early eighties. And I'm, I'm grateful that he brought it to the big screen in the nineties because everything that I know I appreciated from the eighties uh, lives in that nineties slasher film revival. And it was more accessible to people who didn't necessarily, I think, digest horror as much because there's really, if, if we can be honest about that, Scream is not really a horror movie. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's got, it's, it's more, it's a slasher film. Yes. And that's classified as horror, but there's nothing that's like, if you go back to like nightmare or something, it's nothing that's going to cause me to, like I'm not I'm not losing sleep at night because there's a guy in a ghost face that's coming out to to get me. I'm not getting weird phone calls of people saying, "What's your favorite scary movie?" I think these are things that I don't think he consciously did that. I think what he was maybe maybe unconsciously going, "Look, I want more people to appreciate this. I don't want to leave them thinking and having to detox for two weeks, wondering if there's a guy out there that's going to kill them. I want to give them an entertaining movie using the things that they're familiar with from what they grew up with watching horror." Um, Nightmare on Elm Street's different because it's a psychological movie. I mean, we all dream and we all have this ability to uh, be manipulated by the things that happen in our dreams. Um, I'm not manipulated by, <laughs> there's nothing manipulative about a ghost face killer that's running loose. Although there's manipulation in, in Scream, yeah, with phone calls and, and misdirection, which we'll get into. But I don't know, I think, when I, when I look at a movie like Scream, I think it's more accessible as because of its comedy and because of its, there's a lot more levity in a movie like this than there is in something like, you know, Annabelle creation or your um, insidious, these movies that are really more trying to tell a deeper story and using the horror genre to do that. So you mentioned about talking about the, the tropes of horror, uh, the, the rules of horror, I think were, were very relevant in this. I love that. I love the fact that we get this kind of commentary from, uh, from these guys who are talking about, okay, here are the rules. Here are the things that you don't do. You know, you don't ever say I'll be right back. Um, things that we got that we're familiar with. If you're familiar with uh, growing up with that kind of horror but I think you also mentioned the cabin in the woods, and I think it's different personally. I think it's different than cabin in the woods because yes, it is a commentary, but I think what cabin in the woods does, it's as, when we look at a movie like cabin in the woods, we're looking at people that are not commentating in the movie about horror films. We're, we're looking at people 
who are involved in a quote horror movie that are kind of working the mechanics of it within there. So we have the, you know, we have our two main guys that are controlling people with, with chemicals and making them turn into the tropes. And when I look at, look at scream, it's more of a celebration as opposed to a, a criticism. It's using the tropes to enhance and celebrate what those tropes can do. Um, but it's definitely self-aware. I think it's definitely very meta. Oh, it's incredibly meta. I mean, that's to me, that's the best part of the movie is watching things happen that are the wrong choice. I mean, Sid, uh, again, I think it's Casey. And, and the, the, the best, the first 15 minutes of this movie, frankly, are, I mean, stellar. They would make the best horror short film that you would ever, you could ever get. I mean, it is, it is an amazing scene and, and it's ballsy too. Like what Wes Craven did, Drew Barrymore is on the poster or on the cover of this movie, right? So you expect her to be a main character. She's a known actress. You, you are not, when you first watched this movie in, in, in 19, was it 1999? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you do not expect her to be killed. You just don't. Right. Because she's too well known. She's an A list, mm-hmm. A lister at the point. And so that is an amazing twist right there, right off the bat. But that first 15 minutes is just so powerful, so awesome. And even in that, she says, like, you know, no, don't go out the front door. You know, you don't want to ever do this. You don't want to ever do that. And then what does she do? She does the exact thing that she says she should never do. And so that you, you kind of start to see this occurring constantly throughout. And it's so fun to me to watch them make the wrong choices. That sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds hilarious, but it's, it's, it's like, it's because they're self-aware that it makes it more entertaining than just watching someone do it and us being expected as an audience to buy it as serious. Right. It's, it's as if like they're, all of us are in on the, the joke, yeah. on the joke. And you're exactly right. I remember seeing that poster and then watching the movie and going, oh my gosh, what just happened here? This A-lister has now been killed off. I read on um, on on the, the internets about the fact that Drew Barrymore was actually um, in, in the running for the main, main role. And she wanted to take the role of Casey because she wanted to perpetuate that notion that anything can happen in this. And I mean, that's very much true, not only with her, but the fact that the whole movie is about trying to find out who the killer is, which is very much a common theme among these kinds of movies. Uh, So it's a mystery as well as a horror, as well as a comedy in some ways. But we kind of get a a different kind of misdirection in that we get two killers, not one, but two, because the whole time, what are we trying to do? We're trying to find out who the killer is along with our, you know, along with, with Nev Campbell's character, we're, we're trying to get to the, to the bottom of this. And when we find out that there's two, that's when the real twist comes for me as a, as an audience member. Cause I'm like, I didn't see that coming. I mean, we see early on, uh, her boyfriend, you know, after Ghostface has made his attack on her, uh, uh, and we, we see like two minutes later, her boyfriend come into the room and we see, the cell phone, excuse me, how they call it the cellular phone, what they call <laughs> out of his pocket. Yeah. This is very much like, yeah, it's painful. It's we, 
we think we're we think we're being uh, duped because we're like, oh, we're expected to think it's this guy, but sure, no, it's not him because we're obviously being told it's being set up to look like him. And so us trying to be smart audience people, we're going, yeah, it's probably not him because it's obvious that the uh, that the movie is trying to make it look like he's the bad guy. And it either was. He was one of the bad guys. But the fact that he was one of two threw me because I expected it to be one. And I, I don't know if I should feel cheated or not. Well, well, no. Why would you feel cheated? I mean, it. I don't. I don't yeah, I wouldn't feel cheated. I because mean, I, I, because I won and lost at the same time. Oh, I expected it to be him, but I didn't but, expect it to be a, a dual purpose or dual dual killer. Right. Well, no one, no one did, and that that's what was partially so unique. I mean, this is not something that, to my knowledge, had been done before. Right. That's why it was so intriguing. Is that mm-hmm. oh, there's two people in on this in on this effort, and. I mean, the other thing that it does brilliantly is it sets it up so that you could conceivably think that many different people are the killer in this movie. Um, oh, yeah. You could you could buy it. You know, it gives you shots and scenes that make you think it could be any of her friends. It could be maybe it is Cotton somehow. You know, even there's even a scene that could vaguely suggest that maybe Dewey is in on it or maybe it really is her dad. I mean, they set, they set him up to be, you know, a truly potential suspect the way mm-hmm. that things get get set and so um when it does that that's the best kind right when you can't Mm -hmm. pick out the killer right away and then it also has meaning to it um as to why they're doing this it's not it's not just to torment people Mm -hmm. um there's there's so much there's so much fantastic dialogue in this movie about why they're doing what they're doing um who is it i think it's it's billy who says um now, Sid, don't blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And so even then, they're acknowledging the killers aren't acknowledging that they're doing this, that they're crazy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we know we're off and, and why we're doing this is, is not a normal thing. Instead of, again, instead of the normal horror movie route where they aren't self-aware of what they're doing and we're supposed to buy that they're literally just that crazy. Yeah. Well, this is where I think Wes Craven is really great at, at what he did in that there was duality to what he was doing in this movie. And it's in that same conversation because after he, this is after Sydney basically confronts him and says, you know, you know, why are you doing this? And like, why do we have to have a motive? We can just be psycho. And I started thinking about, I started thinking about the Joker and how Alfred says, some people just want to watch the world burn. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, well that's dangerous enough. But then he goes on and actually reveals his actual motive. Now, granted, now granted his partner in crime is like peer pressure. That was kind of his deal. That was his reason for doing it. He never really gave a, 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 something outside of that. But that's why I think what Wes Craven does is he he uses things like Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street to satisfy two things that he's good at. Great gore and, and lots of blood and, and all that. And also a really interesting subtext of theme. Because you can make a I mean you can just make a slasher movie, you know, killers out to get you, blah, 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 blah. And Wes Craven's like, nope, I want to do something a little bit more. And I think what we have here is something that resonates in his nightmare series, which is this idea that children pay for the sins of their parents. You know, Sydney is 
being punished because of what her mom did. And, you know, these kids in the nightmare films are being punished for something. What their parents did. Yeah. Right. And so, well, it doesn't surprise me that he's using the same theme because it's familiar in both. Um, It sort of surprises me that he creates this layer of, of drama that is, you could, serious isn't the right word for it, but it's not necessarily lighthearted. It's, it's an idea that can be very connective to, to several people. And I think it creates a sense of, of, of drama to it that I don't think would exist in a lot of, a lot of horror that is driven by gore and blood and whatnot. So I think, I think it speaks to, it's, it's a testament to how he uh, crafts his stories and how he wraps them up in 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 these other type using these other types of formulas to to tell them, and I think it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, he's. Well, I mean, he's he's the master for a reason. I mean, he really, really is. And I I'm a little sad that I wasn't able to appreciate him in his life and kind of be in that fan club while it was existing and while it was being created. The new the new films were coming out. I remember watching all the Scream films, so I know that I've seen them all. Um, it's been ages and ages and ages. That's why I want to revisit all the way through. So we're we're committing to that. All the kids, uh, both kids have agreed they want to do it with me. So that should be fun. Um, we're going to go through all five, and then we're going to watch this documentary that is, is really well regarded called Still Screaming, which is like a retrospective on the the first trilogy or mm-hmm. the main trilogy, uh, so that that should be pretty cool too. We're just gonna we're just gonna kind of keep going, just walk walk through them because they they are really really interesting. And you know, watching Nightmare on Elm Street has helped reinvigorate that for me too. Yeah, and I like those deeper themes. I think I think for me that's what puts it that that and the the meta ness of course, but the really makes it worth caring about these characters uh, and you have a tiny a bit of sympathy then for the killers. So I don't have sympathy for Freddy Krueger. Was Freddy Krueger burned and shouldn't have been probably by a, you know, justification of citizen murder, you know, as pun as, as a uh, justice. Well, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been burned to death by a mob, but I don't really necessarily have sympathy for him because of what he did to deserve that. Mm -hmm. But Billy, I have sympathy for, right? Like Billy didn't do anything to have his mom or his, his, sorry, his dad sleep with Sydney's mom. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't ask for that. He didn't create that problem. It was created for him by poor parenting, which is another big important thing like that I latch onto, like, you know, is it's not just the, the sins of the parent being brought down on the children, but it's anytime you see poor parenting. And I think it's awesome that Wes Craven contrasts that with Sydney's dad, who seems mm-hmm. like a great parent, you know, like he's mm-hmm. always, you know, caring about her. He's trying to take care to you know, protect her. And, and he's asking her how she is. He's trying to have conversations with her. He's not withdrawn. And, you know, he's gone for, for work or whatever, but it seems like he genuinely wants to be an active and involved parent. Right. So I think that that's important. 
because I, it, yes, she has both. Right. And I wonder because of how he's portrayed in this film, did, you, you might wonder if that the way in which he is towards her changed as a result of her mom's death. Like, I wonder if he was more of an absentee dad until her mom died and he's gotten a lot closer to her. Cause I mean, it's only been a year. That's Man, a fair, that, fair question. Yeah. And so it's, I don't think it takes away from who he is, but it definitely could enhance the fact that what you just described is who he is. Um, he got that way for a number of reasons. His, her mom's death being one of those, the fact that, you know, he, you know, whatever issues they were having that caused her to kind of form this other relationship, the, um, you know, he's this way now. And so he becomes, he becomes sympathetic as well because we, we want to, we want to root for him and his relationship with, with Sydney. But we, um, but we do so early on because she doesn't have her mom, but we find out later, we, we kind of get more reasons to want their relationship to continue, you know, because there's a killer after him. We need to get this put to bed. So, so I want to go back real quick to the, the quote where, you know, Sydney has said, you sickos, you know, you've seen too many movies. And then that's when they respond and they say, no, you know, movies don't make the psychos. Mm-hmm. Movies just make psychos creative. So what do you think about the idea that watching slasher flicks in particular, when it comes to horror films, um, contribute to the violent nature of the people that are watching them? Is, is there a danger to this type of movie? Uh, because I guess... I guess there's been several cases of scream-like influenced killings over the over the years where people claimed that they were influenced by, you know, this movie and it's very common these days you hear this a lot with video games being influenced by violent video games is does that mean that people are, you know, more apt to commit gun crimes because they're playing first person shooters and things like that. Do you think, do you think there's any correlation to watching these gory slasher flicks? And if, if not, or if I guess if not, or if so, like, how do you feel like Craven handles that issue? Um, so the first part of that question, it really begins with how a person is to begin with. I don't believe a healthy human being who's, you know, who's in digesting horror is going to necessarily let the influence of that movie dictate his or her actions. I think that there is something that is already embedded that might be triggered by a person watching these things. I do think movies like Scream because of their accessibility, because of the levity that exists in these because there's a lot of ha-ha joking. When you started talking about that, it reminded me of those guys that ran down the hallway in the uh, in the scream masks in, during the movie that were freaking everybody out. It's again, it's it's meta commentary about what potentially is a real thing. You know, people making light of these murders. I mean, even even early on when Casey gets murdered that when we're introduced to that group of friends, they're just talking about it. Like it's what happened on Melrose place the night before on Fox, you know, it's very much like, yeah, totally just slashed her up and slashed up her boyfriend. Whereas you don't see something like the result of the Columbine shooting. Live her alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lighthearted joking. And again, 
you know, we laugh about that, but there's the potential that because it's taken lightly in the film, someone who might have a tendency to have those kind of violent, that violent outbursts might see that as, you know, emotional justification. I can laugh about this. This is going to be a joke to people if they don't know what's happened. When in reality, we have, we have events like Columbine and we see the reactions of people crying who weren't even involved in, in the event. They're being traumatized. So I don't think movies cause people or movies like scream cause people to do what they do. But I think if there's something that's embedded in someone, something that might be unhealthy, it could trigger something, but I would never equate scary movies make people do this. Just like in the nineties, people were equating Beavis and butthead with starting <laughs> fires and doing really dangerous things when that's not the case. I mean, uh, I knew some people who watched Beavis and butthead and immediately did some <laughs> dangerous things. Because I'm raising my hand because I watched Beavis and Butthead, but I wasn't one of those people. So obviously you can probably take a straw poll and you get 50, 50. I think uh, my point being, I think it's more related to what's going on in that person in general and that movies give that person an excuse to do what they do because they see other people doing it. Wes Craven in particular, I don't think, I think he handles it pretty well because I think he, he provides both balance of, of levity and, and drama and consequence, you know, with this idea that the killers have a face. <laughs> right. And, well, and eventually, eventually they do. Yeah. If he never revealed that, if he just continued to make this franchise and it was just a psycho killer on the loose that we never saw who their motive, the fact that they were just killed, ran, killing randomly. I think that that's one that's being more just tropey horror. And two, I don't think it's being thoughtful with their characters. Yeah, I think, I mean, I land almost exactly where you're at. I would say that I'm a little more probably, I don't know if it's concerned is the word, but I think that, I do think that the more that you do a certain thing, that it desensitizes you to that thing. Absolutely agree with that statement. So it, whether it's watching slasher flicks or it's watching or playing first person shooters or we can take it out of the violent realm completely. And if it's watching a ton of movies that romanticize an affair that desensitizes you to the seriousness or the commitment of a marriage and, and, and leads can lead to a belief or an easier path to making a, a wrong choice to that. They would, you know, be more movie like in a lot of ways. So, I do think that there is discernment that is involved. And that's, that's where I was going with this question mm -hmm. is that even like, I, and I, I, the reason this came to mind, honestly, is because I was letting my 14 year old daughter watch it with me. And, and okay. because I made the decision that we're going to watch them all, um, I didn't think about it before we watched the first one. I just said, Oh, screams a fun, funny, hilarious horror movie. You guys have seen cabin in the woods. Let's, let's, you know, let's watch it. And then, it's a lot more gory than I expected. First of all, I had forgotten all about like the initial uh, scene where Casey is found. Now it's, it's filmed. It's a, it's wonderfully done in the wonderful. I mean, wonderful is a bad word for that, but <laughs> the, the way that her parents react is Phil it's, it's art because <laughs> it's so realistic. It's terrible, mm -hmm. terrifying, but like her entrails are out. And I actually, if I, I was reading that if they had not, zoomed out the camera the way they did and kept it a real short shot that the, they were going to get an NC 17 rating because of that scene, because it was too gory. 
And then the kitchen scene is also like super gory. Like you're just stabbing each other. And like, it's, it, there's a lot of blood in that house during the last ending of the movie. And so I had kind of forgotten that. And, um, you know, what we did is we, we talked about it afterwards and we just, we had a discussion about that and, you know, would it make you uncomfortable at any point? And if it did, like, why was that? And is it something, you know, we want to continue doing? And so I just want to say, I think it's important that parents do that with their kids when they're, they're bringing these up because I remembered scream as the funny horror movie and I didn't pay attention. And I didn't, you know, I went into it unknowingly about, the more serious content that was going to be there, Mm -hmm. the gore and the fact that it was, you know, about a mom who had cheated on her husband. And and then that's why they were trying to get revenge and all these things. Uh, And so I don't, I, sorry, I'm tangenting, but yeah, I don't, I don't think either that slasher flicks cause people to go off and start killing things or killing people, Yeah, but they definitely do impact uh, those that are already kind of, going that direction. It's kind of like, kind of like we talked about when we did our 13 reasons why episode, exactly. we kept offering so many disclaimers. Like if you've ever thought about committing suicide, or if you've had, you know, that, that deep a level of depression to where you thought about hurting yourself, this is not a show you need to watch. <laughs> if you've ever imagined yourself stabbing someone just because you're angry, like you probably shouldn't watch slasher flicks. Yeah. It brings up an interesting point, and it's po- and probably because using Thirteen Reasons Why as an example, the the surrounding uh, idea was about suicide, which is a very serious and very real issue. But why? Yeah, you know, I would. It makes me wonder, and you can probably answer this: Why aren't there disclaimers at the beginning of horror movies that have a lot of violence and gore? If you are prone to violent tendencies. We'd recommend that you seek help. Here's, here's a, um, you know, here's a, here's a phone number. Uh, viewer discretion is advised. You, you won't see that in any movie necessarily because movies take on a different kind of um, digestion than TV shows. I've never seen a disclaimer before a movie that says, "Hey, if you have issues, you shouldn't watch this." But you know, do horror movies, slasher movies, particularly? Do they deserve that same kind of disclaimer, that same kind of, hey, wait, warning up front? I don't know. Um, is it because, it, quote, it's not real? <laughs> it's that, and we don't necessarily connect those kinds of dots like we would to something like 13 Reasons Why? I mean, it's a very legitimate question. I think it, there's some truth in that. Um, and I think that merits probably a different discussion from the one we're having tonight, but it's definitely one worth having. Well, I'll also, just to wrap that up, I'll say that I agree too that I think Craven handles it in a way that doesn't romanticize it. The scenes you're talking about, like where they're joking about it, specifically there at the very beginning, to me, romanticizing it or n- treating it too lightly would be just showing that. But when right. you have characters that get upset about it, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's your offset right there. And yeah. then the other thing that's really cool about this one specifically is the killer is often incredibly clumsy. Absolutely. Yeah. Falls into things, trips over himself, like runs into the wall, like gets beaten up by Sydney, beats him up. And it makes perfect sense. Well, not only does that take some of the fear factor out a little bit, but 
you know, like, you know, it kind of lightens it up a little bit, but it, it also is perfectly done because we see how goofy and clumsy Stu is. And so it makes sense, right? You're right. like, oh, well, yeah, he's gangly and falling all over himself and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I really like that about it. I did too. That, that's one of the things that stood out to me because again, it gave humanity to these, to this, to these villains or to these bad guys. If we look at other horror movies like Texas Chainsaw or Halloween or anything, these killers are always being run away from. They're never being attacked. They're never being fought back with. Well, until I guess the end necessarily when the hero or heroine goes after, uh, has to confront them. But almost every time, like even with Casey at the beginning, I mean, she, she puts a, I think she puts a big like kick right in his groin or something like that. And you just, Ooh, I mean, it's very humanizing and very much. And um, you believe that they could win. Like you yeah. believe that they could actually kill the killer or hurt the killer. Right. But not so much because but they don't because Wes Craven, you know, whatever. Movie. Yeah, so movie. I have a couple of fun little things. So one is, well, with the killers, did you know that when, Oh gosh, I think it's, so I think it's Billy hits Stu with the phone in the kitchen. Um, is, I think it's Billy that hits Stu with the phone, right? Yeah. Cause he's like, cause then he freaks out. Um, that was an accident on uh. the set and it wasn't supposed to happen, but because of Matthew Lillard's reaction to it, it was so perfect that Craven just let it roll and decided to keep it in the movie because he just kept going. And played it out and it worked out perfectly. And I, I just thought that was, that's awesome because I said, I bring this up. I have, I have a love hate relationship with Matthew Lillard in this movie. <laughs> I think his acting is phenomenal to be able to pull this off and, and be the character that is in this film. I think he, he's a fantastic acting performance. That being said, I don't particularly enjoy his character because he drives me up the wall. And so it's like, Oh, do I look back on him fondly or do I look back on him, you know, with like annoyance? Were you a fan of him? Like, you know, he had like this minor career and then he kind of disappeared. Well, yes. Matthew Lillard, he's been, he's been on my happy plate of entertainment since his I guess debut in Hackers because he plays that same exact character that kind of like oh and, but are you kidding me yeah it's just so and he I mean you're exactly right loved him and she's all that he's one of the reasons I enjoy that movie so much because his obnoxiousness and the ability that he has to bring that to the table provides um provides a lot of the levity that we talk about in the film I mean he, he's he's a light-hearted character and I think again it's genius for Wes Craven to make him one of the killers. And then to have his last kind of lines of dialogue being like, my parents are going to kill me. My parents are going to kill me. You know, yeah. Because it's completely true to his character. He's just in it because his buddy asked him to do it. It's not like he had a real motive. It's fun. It's a game. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's entertainment and for him. I can, I can see how he can become, he can be very obnoxious for sure. But I get, I get just enough of, of, of his characters in all of his movies that it's, it's just fine for me. Yeah, I think I think overall I have to agree. I we'll see. Uh, I mean, I may. What else is he in? SLC Punk, maybe. Is that him? Not sure. I can't remember. Um, I know he was in Scooby Doo. Okay, yeah, I didn't see Scooby Doo. I don't care about, but like he's he's perfect. Like he's <laughs> shaggy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. what are you gonna do? He he, he he embodies that character. So 
the other one thing I wanted to come back to that we had missed, or I missed bringing up when we talked about it was when we we're discussing the tropes and how meta this is. It's, it's happening throughout, but there's one particular scene that I feel like is just mind blowingly brilliant. And when I explained it to my daughter, her jaw dropped the moment where Randy is in the, in the living room watching Halloween and he's talking to the TV. Um, and this is when all the killing is happening throughout the house. Um, and he's just watching the movie and he's talking to Jamie Lee Curtis and he's saying, look behind you, Jamie, look behind you. <laughs> There's interesting things at play here because at the, at the moment, the killer is behind him for one thing. So that's the, that's the surface level meta-ness of it, right? Is that we know the killer is behind him and he's telling someone on the screen, Hey, look behind you. When in reality, he should be looking behind him, mm-hmm. but it goes deeper. It's interesting that he's not using the Halloween character's name. He's saying, Jamie. True. The actress's name. Mm. And he's telling the actress, look behind you. But guess who else's name is Jamie? His Jamie Kennedy Kennedy. is Randy's name. So he, in essence, is telling himself, look behind you, Jamie. Look behind you. Wow. Right? I did not Isn't that awesome? No, I know. And I have no idea. I mean, like, I have to assume it was intentional. I can't imagine. Like, with everything else it's in this movie, I have to believe that that is – you could have used another horror movie to yeah. to, to reference. Um, and I just I, – that has become, like, my favorite scene now because of that. Because it is so, like, layered in meta-ness. <laughs> There's just, like, <laughs> multiple things going on. And I just think yeah. it, it makes it, – it really wraps this movie up for me and – how awesome it is. And I, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to have as good of an experience, but man, there's something really cool about this one. All the characters, they just, they just work, you know, the relationship, you know, Gail, Gail Weathers, she has an arc to her. Mm -hmm. She grows as a character. She starts out as this, I can't say it on this podcast, but she, (laughs) she's, she is not a good person. (laughs) And, um, you know, and she changes and not just in a way where she, does something strong. And so that changes her, but like it's moments throughout that. And specifically it's meeting and having a relationship with Dewey, like allowing herself to entertain this man that, and, and, you know, give him the time of day essentially. And it begins to change her perspective uh, over the course of the film. And I, I think again, Wes Craven, the master man, these characters could have been so, normal and poorly drawn uh, mm-hmm. both Weathers and Dewey. He could have been just the bumbling, stupid cop, mm-hmm. but that's not who he is. And yeah. and I think that it's, it's great. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and that's why I think it goes beyond just being meta. I think it's Wes Craven's way of saying slasher horror can be more than flat characters. And something like Cabin in the Woods is saying it's using meta to say something different. And I think that's why I like scream on a different level than cabin in the woods. Cause they're not doing the same thing. They're just using the same tropes to tell a different, to, to give a different kind of message. I agree they're, And it's funny cause they're both in my top 10 horror movies of all time. So clearly this is like my go-to, <laughs> like this is the, the horror type of horror that I really gravitate toward is this non, I don't want to say non-serious cause they're certainly both 
a lot of serious things happening, but like the, the ones that don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, well, I, I have a lot of fun with them. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what your comments are going to be about the sequels and if they hold up or not. So we look forward to seeing and hearing your thoughts uh, on social media. Speaking of which, where can people find you in order to hear more about that or anything else? Uh, you can always find me anywhere online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, tweeting and on Facebook and also in the Facebook discussion group that we know and love uh, for feeling film. You can find the link to that in the show notes and on our website. You can find more of my written reviews by following any of these social media feeds. Uh, and also by just checking feelingfilm.com periodically. Uh, if you go to the read section, uh, you get a couple new reviews from me pretty much every week now for films that are coming out that week. If you're curious about uh, what's coming into theaters. If it's something you want to go see or not, you can go and read those. But Patrick, I'm excited about next week. What's happening next week? Well, we're going to go in the woods. With a cabin? Not with a cat. Well, no, yes. we've, been, we've been to a cabin in the woods. There's a cabin. There's a cabin in the woods. It's <laughs> more of a shack, shack, actually. But not that shack that we're um, thinking about. No. And it is, I would rather go to the cabin in the woods than I would, re- than I would to go to this shack. We... We are going to cover uh, what for a long, 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 long time was my favorite horror movie of of my life or ever. And that was uh, <laughs> uh, whichever comes first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was dumb. Uh, yeah, we're going to do the Blair Witch Project and I'm very excited about it. And I hope that you will watch it with the lights out and I hope that it scares you. <laughs> thanks for the encouragement there. I appreciate that. But no, we're going to talk about the Blair Witch Project, which I'm, I, uh, is one of my faves. So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to have that conversation next week. Yeah, me too. It's, it'll be good to get back to a regular episode now that I'm feeling above the weather instead of under it. And what better way than to, uh, ring in the, 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 the Halloween season, or at least finish out our Halloween themed episodes with, with this one. So until then, you can catch me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. Um, if you get a chance, be sure to uh, hit us up on iTunes with a review, five-star, whatever star. Just let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear. Five-star, five-star. Yes. Okay, five-star, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not greedy. I just put some words to what that review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more we get uh, credibility as a show. I mean, we've been doing this for a year and a half, so I think we have some credibility. We've got great listeners, great Patreon supporters, great contributors to the show. So that should be a formula for greatness. But just in case, we'd love to hear your comments uh, either in the Facebook group, on iTunes reviews, on our website, any way you can, social media, connect with us, let us know what's what you like, what you don't like, and talk to us. In the meantime, we will say goodbye. But uh, as we always say, stay positive and keep feeling filled.